We've been looking at things that God has commanded us to continue in. And last week we started in the book of John, in chapter 15, looking at the command to continue in the love of Christ. And we'll go ahead and read again in John 15, verses 1 through 14. As a reminder, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gathered them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned." If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So we are looking at this passage and looking at the fact that we are to continue in the love of Christ. And we saw last week that we are to continue in his love by drawing near to him. We looked at that in verses 1 through 8. And then we're to continue in his love by doing his commands. And that's verses 9 through 11. And then we continue in his love by demonstrating his love to the brethren. And that's in verses 12 through 14. So let's ask the Lord to guide us through this, please. Father, again, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, your guidance as we continue to look at this passage about remaining in your love. And may we truly abide there, remain there, And Lord, always show your love toward others as we experience your great love toward us. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Now remember the word continue is the Greek word meno, which is also translated abide, has the idea of to dwell there, to remain at home there, to feel comfortable. And so we are to, we've seen already, we're to continue in the things that we have learned, right? We're to continue in the love of Christ. We're to continue, and there are several things in in Scripture that we're commanded to continue in, and this is one of them, continue in the love of Christ, abide there, to remain there. But the same word goes throughout the passage when he says about abiding in Him, remaining in Him. And so we saw that We are to be drawing near to him. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And just as a branch separated from the vine can do nothing, so you and I can do nothing apart from him. We went through that point and then we got down to the second point of doing his commands. We remain in his love by doing his commands. We saw how Christ first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. He demonstrated his love to us 
in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came, left the glories of heaven, and died on the cruel cross for you and for me. We also saw how his love is constraining, that such love should constrain us, keep us wanting to live a holy, separated life, a life abiding in him, a life pleasing to him. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So he says we demonstrate our love for him by being obedient to his commands. John 14.15, If you love me, keep my commandments. We talked about how this is easily illustrated in a family When a child says, Mom and Dad, I love you, but doesn't do a thing Mom and Dad say, it's kind of hard to see that love, isn't it? But we demonstrate our love by being obedient. Remember that His commands are for our good. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And we ended last week with his commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Isn't that wonderful thing? You know, the burden of sin is heavy. The weight of sin is extremely heavy. Oh, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but the guilt that you will carry is very heavy. And the fact that sin especially things that are addictive, get a trap on you. And yes, you can be saved from that power of sin, but I believe there are certain things that if you have been involved in before you were saved, you've got to be careful after you're saved because your flesh is weak and will want to still go back to those things. Now, God can give the victory and does give the victory and does give power over those things. For instance, I knew a man who was a born-again believer, but before he was saved, he was an alcoholic. And he still, to this day, will say that he's a recovering alcoholic because he knows that if he ever were to be near in the wrong situation, near alcohol, though he has the power of God with him, that his flesh would desire to give back into that again. It's programmed in his brain. So as we follow his commands, we are abiding in his love. Let's go again, verses 9 and 10. He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue, remain, dwell ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Now again, we talked about how the world says, Oh, you Christians never have fun. It's just a list of roles that you got to do and don't, and blah, 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 blah. You know, again, the commands of Christ are not grievous. They're for our own good. I mean, I've had people say, well, I don't want to get saved because that means I would have to give up whatever it is. And I'm sitting there thinking, you'll give up forgiveness, you'll give up eternal life to be able to remain in whatever this particular sin is. It doesn't make sense to me. But we have the perfect example of Jesus Christ, the perfect example of love. In verse 9, again, he says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. The Father and the Son are one, right? God is three persons, but one God. And so the love between the, among the Godhead is perfect love. It's a perfect union. 
And Jesus says that's the same love that he has for us. He has demonstrated that perfect love for us, again, by having set aside the glories of heaven and coming to this earth and dying on the cross of Calvary, shedding his blood for you and for me, was, a great, it was an example of his love for us. The fact that he is willing to give us his righteousness in exchange for our sin, that is a demonstration of love, is it not? And so when we have this perfect example of love, I don't understand how Christians could say, well, I can't love them. What do you mean you can't? If Christ could love you and Christ has commanded you to love, then you can, you choose not to. Because God is not a God that's going to give us commands that we cannot follow. But then we also not only have the perfect example of love in Jesus Christ, but look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew his purpose for coming to earth. He knew his purpose for being here was to pay for your sin and for mine. I have heard some say, as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, Father, let this cup pass from me, that he was praying and asking God to let the pain and agony of the cross pass from him. That is not what I believe he was praying for. He knew that was his purpose. His purpose was to redeem man. Now, what I personally believe that Jesus was praying for is the fact that he somehow, and I don't understand this, folks, I can't explain this, but somehow the Godhead would have to be separated as Jesus became sin for you and for me. The Bible says that the Father turned his back on Jesus, the Son refused to shine, and that's when Jesus called out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And again, I've said this before, and nobody's challenged me, so I assume you haven't found it either. Find in Scripture any other time that Jesus referred to the Father as God than that time when, the, when God the Father was separated from him, when God the Father turned his back on his own son as he took upon himself my sin. It was that separation I believe Jesus was not wanting to have to bear. It wasn't the agony of the cross. It wasn't the fact of all the other things involved with it. But it was the fact that the Godhead would be separated because there's this unity, this love, this oneness that he did not want separated during that. But yet he was willing to obey. He obeyed even to the death of the cross. And yet people say today, well, you know, when I try serving God, you know, and then all of a sudden bad things happen, so why should God... Why should I serve a God that treats me that way? Well, first of all, God never promised that life would be easy. God never promised that everything would be a bed of roses. You know, it amazes me in American Christianity that people get this idea, well, when things get bad in the United States, that must mean the rapture's coming real soon. Well, you know, things have gotten bad in countries before. And there is no promise that we are some kind of chosen people that things aren't going to get bad for us. As a matter of fact, when you look at uh, the prophecies, and I'm sure you've heard this said many times, find America anywhere in prophecy. Something happens to us, okay? And I'm not necessarily looking forward to that. I want this nation to continue as long as possible, not so we can have peace and safety, but so that we can continue to preach the gospel around the world. Although since we're failing at that, maybe it's time 
I don't mean this as, uh, hey, we should have persecution. You know, somebody told me recently that there are churches around this world who are in countries having persecution. They told, uh, some, I can't even remember who told me this recently, but they said there are Christians around the world praying for persecution to come to our nation. You know why? Because they see how weak we are. That's pretty serious. Because they see this weak Christianity, this convenient Christianity that wants to serve God when it's convenient, but not serve him when times are tough. You really want to, as the saying goes, separate the men from the boys, let there come persecution, and you'll find out who's truly serving God and who's not. I'm not asking for it, but it may be God's perfect will for it to happen to us. And let me ask you this. Would you be one who is still standing for him? Are you one who is still be serving him? Are you one of those that, how dare you, God, treat me this way? Let me tell you something. I deserve right now to be in the flames of hell. Anything other than that is God's mercy on me. I should be thankful for it. So when we look at the perfect example of Jesus Christ as the perfect example of love and the perfect example of obedience, then you and I, Christian, are left without excuse why we're not demonstrating the love of Christ, why we're not abiding in the love of Christ, why we're not obeying the commands of Christ. We really are without excuse. Now let's go to verse 11. Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Christ wants us to have a full joy. And there is no reason why, Christian, you and I can't have joy. He says that, read this again. These things have I spoken in you, that my joy might remain in you. The fact that Jesus loves me should bring joy to my heart. The fact that Jesus saved me should bring joy to my heart. The fact that I am forgiven should bring joy to my heart. The fact that I have in my possession eternal life should bring joy to my heart. Jesus Christ's righteousness be imputed to my account and my sin being laid on him should bring joy to my heart. And you know, there's nothing, nothing in this world that can change those facts. So it doesn't matter the circumstances, that joy should remain, it should dwell, it should be consistent in my life because those facts remain true. So then he says, and that your joy might be full. In John 10.10 10, he says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. You know, instead of dying with a life of regrets, Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. He wants us to have a prosperous life. Now, prosperous, successful. What does that mean? Does that mean Jesus wants me to make a lot of money? No. Does it mean he wants me to have all the toys that this world offers? So what is an abundant life? Somebody answer. What is an abundant life? Somebody raise their hand and tell me. What, if you, when you read this, and Jesus says, I want you to have life, not only life, but an abundant life. I want you to have full joy. What does that mean? Life full of joy, knowing your life is secure in Christ. You know why, Christian, you and I should be able to speak with all boldness the truth? Because it comes from God. 
And no matter what the response of man is to it, it doesn't change. It's still from God, and I can still be joyful. And if people get upset, then, and they want to kill me for doing good, which they did for Jesus, by the way, it's okay. Because, so, does the Bible not tell us not to fear man that can kill the body, but fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell? Isn't it going to be joyful to get to heaven and have folks there who are there because you shared the gospel with them? To know that because you were obedient to Christ and sharing the gospel, that that individual is there with you? That's going to be fantastic, isn't it? Living a life obedient to Christ results in a life of joy and happiness, a fulfilled life an abundant life, whereas a life lived in sin results in a life of regret, depression. And I have seen this, folks. You know, I've never met a Christian who has served God, who has been faithful to the Lord all their life, on their deathbed say, I regret it. It hasn't happened. And I don't anticipate it ever will happen. On the other hand, those that have lived a life of sin most times, many times, on their deathbed, have such regrets, such sorrow for what they've done. It does matter how we end the race, doesn't it? Which means it matters how we run the race. Well, that brings us to our last point. Demonstrating his love to the brethren, verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Loving other Christians is not an option. It should be a natural outflow of our love for him. Well, pastor, you don't understand. Oh, I do understand. We all have personalities, don't we? And some personalities mesh with other personalities better than others, don't they? But you know what? That's not what Christ is talking about. Love is not a, an emotion. That's what Hollywood teaches. Hollywood teaches love is this emotion. Because you fall in love, you fall out of love, you keep falling, eventually you're going to hit rock bottom, I guess. But you fall in love, you fall out of love, you fall in love, you fall out of love. It's how you make me feel. That is Hollywood's and the world's definition of love. How you make me feel. As long as you make me happy, we're good. Some will go even to the brotherly love, the phileo love in Greek, of as long as we are mutually happy, we're good. As long as this benefits us mutually, okay? But as soon as it doesn't benefit us mutually, I don't need you anymore. We see this in business partnerships a lot, don't we? We're good, so I don't need you anymore. Now you're done. But this is not either of those types of love. This is the highest form of love the love that Christ showed toward us and demonstrated in that why we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a choice. Love is a choice, not an emotion. It is the agape love. It's the selfless, sacrificial love that loves for the benefit of the object being love, not for self. Expects nothing in return. Now, when I love that way, your personality doesn't matter anymore. You follow what I'm saying? I'm going to love you anyhow. You know why? Because God commanded me to. Christ loved me, and I know what kind of personality I got. And he still loved me. 
So therefore, I have no excuse but to demonstrate that love toward others. Which is why in 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul finds love, it's translated charity there, but as he finds love, he gives a list of what love does and does not do, what it is and is not, because you describing action. You know, we wouldn't have the church down the block that split off from the other church, and then the church down two blocks from that to split off from the second church, and the other split off down the next city over, if we would demonstrate this love toward one another. Because it really doesn't matter what the color of the carpet is. It really doesn't matter what somebody brought for the potluck dinner. It doesn't matter if they sat in your pew or not. If you're really going to demonstrate the love for them, you're not going to split the church over it. But these are the stupid things that churches split over because people are so prideful and don't demonstrate the love toward one another. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. So do you feel at home with the brethren? I tell you this many times when we get to the end of last service. I hate that time of Sunday. You know why? I love being around you all. And even people that have little weird quirks, I love still being around them. Because I got weird quirks too. And y'all deal with me. You see, when our heart is right with God, we're going to feel at home with God's people. You know what I find? People who don't want to be at church typically don't have a right relationship with God. And they don't want to be with other Christians because they feel like they're judging me. Even though you're not, their guilt of their sin being around you makes them feel like everybody's judging them. You know what? We need to reach out to them and say, let them know how much we do love them. So when your heart does not desire to be with God's people, now I'm not saying you wake up tired and, you know, oh man, I wish it wasn't Sunday, okay? Because, look, I understand that happens to everybody once in a while, okay? And I understand we all have those days when, well, hate to say it, but you know, you'd probably just rather not go to church on some days, right? Just like you'd probably rather not go to work some days. Just like there are some days you'd rather not go out and visiting and talking to folks about Christ. I mean, but when you do the right thing, you feel much better about it, right? I think it was Troy showed me recently something about uh, why do I get up so early every morning? said something about, uh, well, the brig didn't seem like a good option or something like that. Yeah, well, you know, that was, that was true when we were in the military, right? I did not necessarily like getting up at five in the morning, but the brig didn't look like a good option either. So you did it. <laughs> when I worked at Walmart, worked a four to one shift, three o'clock in the morning was awfully early. Getting off at one in the afternoon was great. I'd go home and take a nap. <laughs> but I did it because my family wanted to eat. How fair was that? The love for the brethren is to be a sacrificial love. Verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Did he not demonstrate that? As I already referred to, Romans 5, 7, and 8, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The first four words of verse 14 are beautiful words. Ye are my friends. Greater love hath no man to this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. 
And he did lay down his life for us. Let's look at verse 15. Henceforth I call you no more servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For in all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now, you know, Jesus Christ is Master. He is Lord. He is the Savior. But you know what he says? I'm your friend. Now, friends are a precious thing, aren't they? It's amazing how everybody wants friends. And it's amazing what some will do to get friends. And it's, you know, you remember junior high. Aren't you glad you're out of junior high school? How you felt like you had to do what everybody else was doing in order to fit in so that they would be your friends. And then you'd tell your mom and dad, I'm trying to be an individual, trying to be just, you know, myself. But then you look just like everybody else did. You remember back in the 80s? Anybody here old enough with me to remember? Okay, so when I went to school, I went to a Christian school, so we actually had a dress code. We weren't allowed to dress, you know, in our pajamas and weird and whatever. But just to be cool and to be different than everybody else, I was going to peg my pants. But, of course, every other guy did it too. Mom's like, what in the world are you doing? I actually think Dad laughed because he said, I think we did that back in the 50s. He goes, it's amazing how trends keep coming around. No. He goes, yeah. And so he pulls out a picture and shows me. I'm like, yeah, but we're cooler now. You know, because it's different, right? It's different when you do it. It's not cool when your parents did it, right? So we'd all walk around. And I never really did understand it, but we just did it because it was cool, right? I never really understood why we had to have our pants like this. Then you had to pull your sock up because your pants are now floods, but they're pegged. And I didn't do a good job of it, but you get the idea, right? Remember that? Anybody remember doing that in school? Then I wanted to let my hair grow out. Because, now remember, Dad's a sailor, right? So, you know, my brother and I had, you know, nice tapered hair all the time. And I wanted to get this nice block haircut, kind of going with the 80s mullet a little bit. And I didn't, you know, he never let it happen. My dad's like, no. I'm like, but dad is cool. I want to be an individual. I want to express myself. He goes, well, it's interesting. All the other kids are doing it. No, you know. Anyhow, the point being is we we do this stuff to fit in. Jesus Christ calls us his friend. And we would do all these ridiculous things just to try to be friends. I did it because I wanted to fit in. I was the nerd in class, and I wanted to be liked. So everybody else is pegging their pants and having different hairstyles, so that must be what you have to do to be cool. You ever think of how dumb that thinking really is? Be who God created you to be and just love others. And be their friend, not because of what you can get out of them, not because they try to be like you. Be their friend because, well, especially for brothers and sisters in Christ, because they are a brother and sister. You know, let me remind you, we are going to spend eternity together. So you might as well learn how to get along here. But Jesus said, I'm not going to call you servants, but I'm going to call you friend. Now that's amazing to me. There are several things that God has said in Scripture that really blow my mind. Number one, I can call Jesus Christ my friend. But God has said when we come to Him in prayer, we can call Him Abba, Father, or Daddy. 
We can come to him like a little child comes to their daddy. Those things amaze me. Because he is God. He's the creator of all. He is Lord. He is master. But yet he wants to be so close to us, his creation. He says, I'll adopt you in my family and you can come to me as daddy. Jesus, our Savior, who is God, the second person of the Godhead, says, you're no longer my servants. You're my friends. That does not authorize us to treat God flippantly, but it shows the closeness, the relation that he desires to have with us. So let's go back now and think about this. Continue in my love. Remain in my love. Feel at home. I gave the illustration before. The idea of Menno was like to be at home, put your feet up, be relaxed. Okay, that is how you and I should feel around God, his word, around Jesus Christ, around others, Christians, is at home, remain, dwell, be comfortable. I do not expect when lost people come to visit the church for them to feel that closeness with the rest of us. That is why we got to work hard to make them feel comfortable here and welcome here. But when it is another Christian coming in, isn't it amazing how quickly just all of a sudden you, you have that spirit that clicks together? That's because we're in the same family. And there should be that closeness immediately among Christians. And also because we are choosing to love as Christ loved. If there is, in your life, not that closeness with Christ, which will manifest itself in two ways. One, not obeying his commands. And two, not having the love for the brethren that you ought to have. Then you need to learn to abide in him. Because without him, you can do nothing. Just as the branch must be abiding in the vine... So you and I must be abiding in Christ. He should be our all in all. He should be the topic of our conversation. He should be the desire of our hearts. He should be the one that we are following. He should be the one that we are truly in love with. Husbands, we are commanded to love our wives, but it's okay for her to know that she has second place of your love to only God himself. Matter of fact, if she's a proper wife, she'll understand that. And also, her love for you should be second place for her love for God. And I know that about Susan, and I'm quite okay with that. I want her to be more in love with God than she is me. Right? Remain in the love of Christ by drawing near to him. Remain in him by remembering that we are nothing without him. We're to remain in him by doing his commands, which are not hard, not grievous. His burden is light. Remain in his love by demonstrating his love toward others. Christian, are we doing that this morning? If not, then let's learn to abide in him.